Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. about my dog dying. Oh, I gotta get back into this assassin game and kill a bunch of motherfuckers. How'd I do? I'm a bruiser. Hold it, McNeely. Hello, I am I am random Russian gang guy. I love hanging out at this club. It's <laughs> very easy gig. Nothing. Hey, someone's grabbing my arm up and I've been shot in the brain three times. <laughs> Ow, right, my I'm- brain. This guy, this guy's still shooting my brain. I'm in the dog. Ah, wow, he's really going crazy with the shooting me in the brain right now. He seems like overkill, but he looks so determined. I hope he gets what he's looking for. And I dead now. And I dead. All right, I'll be the dog. Ah, oh, I'm so happy I got a new <laughs> owner. Oh, some lady died, and now I get to step in and be the new lady for this guy. Oh, oh. Oh, fuck. Oh, I'm getting shot in my brain. <laughs> Wait, is that... Are people no, be, the dog got beaten to Oh, uh, he got beaten. Don't I'm be so weird. sorry, guys. The dog got beaten. <laughs> and I'm Ian McShane, and I just love sipping a cognac and sitting in a fancy couch and talking about mysterious things yeah. like the order and the high table and the rules and consequences. Ha, <laughs> ha. Yes, I'm very classy. Also, I'm responsible for like 8,000 deaths, whatever. But I'm cool. I'm cool. You like me. I'm Ian McShane. Hey, it's me, Barry, the talking gold coin. Oh, I love being <laughs> given to assassins to be traded for little things that they receive. It's okay, so I killed I killed a man. I, I, I snuffed out a life in cold blood, and I got this coin in response. Uh, what can I get for this? Um, leg rub. Oh, ice that's nice. Is, is the leg rub and the ice? Pa- is that is the spa package one coin, or is each thing a separate coin? Are you asking me the coin? Because I can't help you, buddy. <laughs> I'm just a coin. <laughs> I'm just wild about Johnny, and Johnny's just wild about me. Uh, all right, listen. Uh, can I'm going to exchange this for either a twelve thousand dollar bespoke machine gun or. A single gin and tonic. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're talking John Wick today. Ladies and gentlemen, almost like a, it's like a secret two-parter. We did Keanu Reeves, our last episode. And now we're covering the John Wick franchise in preparation of John Wick 4 coming out. At the time of this recording, it's coming out uh, at the end of this month. Very exciting because they did a really good job, especially with the end of 2 and the end of 3 making you really 
really hype for the thing they're going to do in the next one. And this next installment, even though it seems like they have no intention of stopping, it looks like John Wick 5 is going to be right around the corner. This next installment... Uh, the premise going into it seems pretty fun to me. Uh, I let's get the gush, Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's gush it up. John Wick was definitely a movie. I think for a lot of people, this was the case. Very off the radar. Something I didn't even notice about this time in our culture, but big action set piece films in general were like kind of off the radar and have been even with aside from John Wick, like. The MCU, big action set piece uh, Mm -hmm. uh, movies outside of Superhero Fair, the MCU, Star Wars, that's where it all was happening. But in terms of like an original action IP, an original character and premise and setup and world, we weren't getting a lot of those. Unlike the 80s. The 80s, we had Predator. We had Rambo. We had Alien, the Alien franchise, all these things. But... Since that time, you know, I mean, and hey, shout out to Keanu. Then you had the redefining of the whole genre with The Matrix. Then something weird happened. We just like all of our action movies just became, aside from Fast and the Furious, just became centered around superheroes, people in capes, masks, and all this kind of thing. And finally, all these comic books are coming to life in this incredible way. And it's this whole beautiful cinematic universe, this world we could live in with all these interesting rules to the world and different characters. But outside of that, there was really nothing else to turn to. And I don't think many people expected much else to turn to around the time of John Wick entering the arena. And even Keanu Reeves' career on, on its own was just like hitting a lull. Like he'd done plenty of work at this point that was successful to like not say Keanu was going through like a, you know, a downward turn in his career. Oh, he was absolutely I mean, in a whiff phase when John Wick was It was a whiff phase, but like he, now he's like kind of this legend that's just continuing to make movies. But, because of John Wick. Yeah, but no, no, no. Then John Wick came and, and just shot him into the stratosphere of He was not in the legend. stratosphere. You know what I mean? That's what, so I have a completely different take. I have a completely different table set in terms of what John Wick represented when it came out. Because on the one hand, yes, the Marvel movies were running at full speed. The DC universe was going at full speed. But action cinema, as it was, was kind of in this uh, born identity phase. We were in this like, uh, you know, Daniel Craig 007 kind of thing where it was a lot of like real dirty, quick cuts, snappy action, parkour stuff. There was this handheld style that was like very dominant. You know, for people that were sick of action movies, it did feel dynamic and real and grounded because it was like kind of messy and kind of, you know, uh, disconjointed in the way that a real fight would be. But for Honest to God action heads, these are the kind of shots and the kind of cuts that you would do when you fucked up an action sequence, Mm -hmm. when you were trying to hide the stuntman, when you were trying to hide the shitty sets, when you were trying to hide like... Uh, one of the stunt doubles, like, uh, missing their mark or something. And outside of Hollywood, though, there was this, like, action renaissance where there were movies like Ongbok with Tony Jaa and uh, The Raid Redemption and even stuff like uh, Dread, where, like, the lessons of creators like John Woo were doing this kind of gun-fu influences that the original Matrix team were heavily inspired by. 
And it was John Wick and ironically the team that worked on The Matrix that brought all of those lessons and all those tricks and all of that like good energy that action fans really love of seeing these actors do these intense choreographed fights where it becomes like this violent dance of like guns and flipping Mm -hmm. and cover and all this stuff that really just gave people what they actually wanted from action while putting it in this kind of universe that you say is a answer to comic books. I'm saying John Wick is just as a comic book movie as anything else, but instead of Superman or Captain America, it's a hundred bullets by Brian Azzarello. Mm -hmm. It's Frank Miller. It is the gritty graphic novel that was always part of the comic book uh, landscape. And it fills that gritty kind of, hard-boiled graphic novel heightened reality that so many um, Vertigo and other kind of uh, crime books filled tons of graphic novel shelves Mm with. It's 100% grounded in its own comic book legacy. And it just was the first movie to like really deliver on that promise. And it didn't hurt that they got one of the most driven dedicated, just brutally hardworking 56-year-old men to ever work the game to actually start. Right, and and if you do remember at this time, there were so many uh, action sequences that were filmed with this incredibly close-up, claustrophobic, shaky camera. I mean, this was very much, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight Returns came out in uh, 2012. John Wick came out in 2014, so that means Batman, Batman Begins uh, came out before that. Uh, and, And that really established for action in a lot of ways, this like, frenetic intense and in ways in ways that style pulls off the effect of this stressful high octane intense situation it's not like necessarily a terrible tactic but to see the the i remember personally like the gush on the film for me personally i remember definitely it was a word of mouth thing right like mm-hmm. largely where where people are like no 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 you got to check this movie out it is awesome and i remember i rent i rented it or whatever i think on streamer to watch in my apartment in Queens. And when I was living in the studio, I lived in like a studio apartment for a year with Lexi. It was kind of a nightmare. But I do remember I watched it there. And I remember just feeling like, wow, this is such a breath of fresh air because I can just see what is happening on the screen. And we are giving it long takes. We're, we're, we're spacing it out. And, and, and because a lot of times, yes, although the effect of that shaky cam quick cutting, you know, heavily edited, claustrophobic way to do fights, while that can give off a certain kind of effect that is really cool and impressive and like stressful and fun and like, you know, it it gives this kind of effect. It also can kind of seem like, are you guys like making this look cooler than it actually is? Mm -hmm. Are you making this choreography look more crazy? Absolutely. You know, totally. Right. And so to see like, a movie like John Wick could be like, no, we have total confidence that this looks cool as shit. We don't need to do any tricks. We don't need this fast edit shit. We can just let this look awesome and you will be impressed because Keanu's got the skills. We, you know, the director's involved and we're going to, it's really fascinating. These guys, this is their first 
shot at directing a movie after doing years and years of fight choreogra- choreography and stuff. They were the guys that worked with Keanu on the Matrix franchise and all that cool fighting. Like this was their shot. And so just everybody involved, even the editor will talk about her. She also just had a distaste for that style of shooting action scenes, that frenetic Mm -hmm. style. And so everybody involved was like able to pull off this thing that had kind of never been done before, at least never this cool, never this awesome looking. And I remember just that feeling of genuine awe and and just being so impressed at every single action set piece in the first John Wick movie and just being like, man, they finally started going the other way with this. And it was at a time when I even noticed how much action scenes were being shot like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, like, I love simplicity and I love rule sets and I love like very, especially for an action film. Like I love very, you know, or, or let's say take like something like a snow piercer or the raid. You know, I love a movie where it's just like, you need to get from the bottom floor to the top floor. Like, especially when it comes to action movies and John wick, also had that. No, it wasn't like we need to get through one building or something mm-hmm. like that. But in John Wick's case, it was like, you killed my dog. I'm going to fucking kill you. These are the rules to the world. It's very simple. You can't kill anyone in this hotel. Y- you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. It, it just, it just speaks to me as a, as a lover of action films. Yes. And that sort of thing. It is one of the most purest action movie, action movies made in the modern era. And it was made by people from the screenwriter to the producers to the directors that were like genuinely gunning for that diehard, for that raid redemption energy. Like they knew exactly what feelings and what emotions they wanted from the story and from the audience. And it's really just, it's kind of amazing. This movie should not have been the, the cultural bombshell that it was going to be. Everyone from the screenwriter to the producers to the directors, even Keanu himself, all had a lot writing on this. And they kind of just stuck to their guns in their belief that like they are making something truly worth making. And it kind of, it paid off. I mean, funding and distribution wise, this film almost didn't get made multiple times. You know, Lionsgate was the only uh, distributor that was even made an offer. I mean, you know, the guy producing this, it was kind of his first big like... Striking out on his own, just like the directors, it was their first big striking out on their own situation. And the money almost fell through like multiple times. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it. The fact that it got made is kind of an anomaly. And the fact, especially even just rewatching it, the fact that it was actually this like low budget, oh, yeah, like kind of little, little film, it, it. is impressive. It's impressive how much they were able to pull off with how little they had to work with. I mean, most of the actors they hired, it was especially because they were just in New York. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to fly them out or make them commit to be, you know what I mean? It was it was like, that's the kind of project we're talking about, which I had no idea. I thought this was like a highfalutin fancy endeavor, like a Fast and the Furious kind of thing. Oh, and it became that yeah, after. Yeah. It became that since then. But no, this was the little movie that could. And I love how many people who were involved that it was like, this is your one shot, dude. This is your one shot to impress. And like, are you a director or are you always going to be a fight choreographer? You know, but then it's also how cool it is, how linked this franchise is to the Matrix, not just because it's Keanu, not just because it's the choreographers, but especially the three of them 
working with the Wachowskis so much on world building mm. and how influential the world building. And that's what's so cool about John Wick. And you can see it if you know that looking at the two entities. It, it's like it's what they don't explain. It's what they mention offhand and and never actually like explain, right? All those little things. You never like see the monster, like in terms of the big job Keanu pulled off, mm-hmm. let's say, that they keep referencing, the impossible task, rather. They keep referencing, you know, those sorts of things that it's always talked about, or just how like much everybody shits bricks when they hear the name John Wick. I mean Oh, I'm sorry. I know him as the Baba Yaga. Yeah, and that was the thing. It was like he, the boogeyman. He was like, he's the guy. When that line happened and I was watching it home for the first time, I remember being like, fuck yeah, when they were like, he's the guy you hired to kill the boogeyman. <laughs> that was such a fucking awesome line. They line. did such a good job of building him up. And then the choreography was so strong. The fights were so cool. The gunplay was so insane. The car stuff was so awesome. They are able to like hype this dude and then completely pay it off Mm -hmm. in every single action sequence afterwards. I mean, they just did such a good job of like setting something up and knocking it down that it's like, I mean, people should study this for sure. Like this is such a good, and I, and I just love stories like these and we've covered video games that were like this. We've covered, you know, comic books that were like this even where, where it was like, man, these guys set out to do something special with very little resources and no one thought it was going to do anything spectacular. And then they achieved the incredible. So let's get into it. Shall we, Jake? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. John Wick, an action film franchise that kicked off in 2014. It was directed by Chad Stahelski and written by Derek Colstead. The official credits are that it was directed by Chad yes, Stahelski. we should talk about this. But it was co-directed by David Leach. L-E-I-T-C-H, who are long-term collaborators for, I believe it was called 8711 Productions, which was this stunt kind of second unit consulting firm that you brought on to separate movies when you needed stunt work done. Mm -hmm. Due to a Director's Guild ruling, they really, really tried to discourage co-directors as official credits, so Chad is officially listed but it's it's just common knowledge that the movie was directed by Chad and David together. Yes, and the writer is Derek Kolstad. Keanu Reeves plays the titular character, uh, which gave his film career a third life. It was a revenge movie centered around this legendary hitman that comes out of retirement after a group of men murder his beloved dog, which was given to him by his wife shortly before she died. You know, I mentioned the producer, I mentioned the director, but Derek Kolstad, the writer, has also this incredible Mm -hmm. underdog story. Derek Kolstad, he was born and raised in the Midwest and started writing when he was 13 years old. However, he did not view it as a possible career career at the time. He went to school for business and pursued that until the age of 26 out of desperation for a better, more enjoyable working life. I hear that. That's totally he right up my alley. sales managers how to manage their sales teams. Oh, God. You found out what shit job he had. You could tell it was a shit job just based on the description. If you, for him to go at 26, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to get into the screenplay writing business. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He wrote somewhere around eight screenplays a year for several years. He was unable to sell a single one. He actually tried to live in Los Angeles for only a couple months, ended up moving back, I believe, to the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just goes to show you don't necessarily have to, like, hack it in L.A. to make your career happen. And still, with the encouragement of his wife, he managed to nail down a manager. And after something like 60 screenplays later, he managed to sell a script called Acolyte in 2012. So... He started in the year 2000. It took 12 years to sell his first script. Then he gets a gig rewriting some scenes for a Dolph Lundgren Cuba Gooding Jr. vehicle. This is titled One in the Chamber. And then he gets a full-on job for a film called The Package, which he describes as a, quote, right within those budgetary parameters type of gig. So for the most part, Kolstad focused on the action genre. He said, I love action, real down, dirty, gritty, and yet poetic action. Too often action nowadays is a stuttery mess created in the editing bay. Seamless is key. Mm. The Raid has a huge influence on me. The movie I already referenced as well, uh, a movie we should probably cover at some point on this show. Oh, I would love to. Absolutely. And and it makes sense, right? Like it's, it's focus on the fights, you know, let the camera breathe, let the shot breathe, and just like... Like, let's just make it this simple kind of, you know, it kind of reminds, you know, there's a lot of talk and I even, I believe I have some quotes related to this, a lot of talk about like the hero journey, right? Mm-hmm. And likening, you know, an action film to the hero journey. And there's a lot of some beauty in the simplicity of the hero journey. And that is exactly the type of movie Kolstad set out to write over and over and over again until he finally decides to write this straight down the line revenge film. So he's getting this work. He ends up writing a spec script. It is titled Scorn. And he ends up selling this to Thunder Road Pictures. And the name would, of course, later be changed to John Wick. We'll oh, talk okay, about that. Wait. But So a thing about Colstead, huge nerd, huge film nerd, huge action film nerd, like you said. Oddly enough, he had a lot of like baggage when it came to writing because his aunt is the best-selling Christian romance oh, author yeah. of all time. Her pen name is Lori Wick. Before you're like, Wick? Wait a minute, like John Wick? He named the character after his grandfather, yes. who was also married to a woman named Ellen, and he died, The John Wick, the grandfather, died within a couple of days after the movie came out, and he tells a story about like all of his cousins and all of his like siblings calling him being like, you really put in a scene where John Wick like cried over his wife, Ellen? Like, like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing to us, bro? Oh, my but God. Before then, the most famous Wick was Laurie Wick, <laughs> author of Christian romance novels. That's so funny. Yeah, I saw that. There's some connection there. I mean, I guess that writer gene exists. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely if you're not making your headroom in your writing career, it's because you got bad genes. Yeah, you don't got an aunt who wrote a bunch of your blood can't do stories. Horny, restrained novels. God, nothing makes me more hot than a Christian romance novel. Martha, could I touch your thigh this evening? You know what I mean? What do they even do? Well, I mean, listen, we're talking about such great novels as A Place Called Home, The Hawk and the Jewel, and The Night and the Dove. Oh, wow. I guess there's a lot of thing in the thing. Gregory Farnsworth had calves you could brush your teeth with. (laughs) Like, it's like that kind of stuff, I'm guessing. Anyways. I knelt in prayer. 
at his feet. <laughs> so Colstad had this to say, even though I write a ton, I had never written a pure revenge flick and who doesn't love a good one? I had seen a couple of disappointing entries and decided to tackle one myself. Alistair McLean and Stephen King were huge influences on me growing up. McLean could build a world and King could surprise you by what that main character truly was capable of. As for the dog, I found myself asking the random question of myself. What would you do if someone did something to low or Isis, my two mutts? And the answer, terrible, terrible things. And by the way, Alistair McLean, uh, he was a Scottish novelist. I hadn't heard of him before. He wrote popular thrillers, many of which were adapted into films like way back in the day. The Guns of Navarone is one of his big oh, ones. I've heard of that. Another way he worked to humanize the character was to inject a bit of humor into the film as well. It is in there in bits, and it really does help to make it work, especially when like the movie does open, it has to, with some pretty heavy tracks tragedy you know with the because it's not just the dog it's also the wife you know mm-hmm. but man do people get upset about dead dogs in movies to the point where there is a website does the dog die uh in it i believe or whatever it's called where you can find out whether or not and this one uh it does the choice of having it be the dog is one of the most contentious things in the story of making the film you know producers distributors like even derek himself would go back and forth and be like is the dog enough? Right. Should we rewrite it so that they kill his whole family? Well, and he wanted to avoid the family thing because that's been done so many. I mean, come on. How many movies have you seen where like the guy, that's his motivation, right? Right. The dog was actually really smart because A, it had never been done before. B, I think, especially with the internet, we all realize like just how much we all like love our dogs a lot of times more than people. And on top of that, test audiences responded incredibly well to the dead dog thing. Yeah. So they were like, okay, I think we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the producer, Basil Iwanek. We'll get into him. It was like, even in post-production, we were asking, is it enough? And it wasn't until the first screening where we watched the audience watch it that we're like, Nope, it's the dog. It's just the dog. We love the dog, and every motherfucker who killed the dog should die horribly. (laughs) As for the lead role, he said, I always write with a dead actor in mind. I grew up with B&W flicks and idolized actors who, as a child, were already beyond their prime. I wrote John Wick with Paul Newman in my head which is pretty interesting. But that also goes to show he wrote the film with like a 70-year-old guy in mind. This was not going to be like, you know, I think they ended up landed on 35 years old for Keanu Reeves, I believe somewhere around there. It really reminds me actually of like the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns with the old grizzled Batman getting back to the game, something like that. So the one major difference between the script at this point and the final product was that it had a kill count of 11. Whereas the movie we all know and love they upped it to over 80. <laughs> so a vast difference. They octupled it. So at this point, there's this script. Basil Iwanik at Thunder Road Films. Let's move over to the producer. He's getting frustrated with the lack of autonomy when it came to working under Warner Bros. on films. He decides to set his sights on more of an indie level of production because he just wants to like make something that's his scorn was the first movie that he sets his sights on for this new direction he was moving in however he ended up in a bidding war with several other studios that had more resources than him luckily for Ewanick, colstead's agent urged him to go with thunder roads films and the reason why is because if you know much about selling scripts in the film business there's something i was deflated by early on when i like first got interested in the screenplay biz is like Many, many, many instances, a 
studio will buy your script just so that another studio won't have it mm-hmm. and they'll never get it made. Or just the process of getting the script after it's bought by the studio actually made can be incredibly difficult and obtuse and oftentimes this thing you you work so hard on it just like ends up in a vault essentially and it just never comes to fruition or or in, some, in other instances it doesn't happen for 10 years let's say and so this manager is like thunder road films they're going to actually like get this movie made they want to make this movie right away so go with these guys even though their bid is the lowest so that was lucky for all parties involved yeah. when this all came together yeah like you said it was a new enterprise for Iwanek who he tells this story in the book I read called they shouldn't have killed his dog the story of John Wick <laughs> where he sent the original script for what would become the Expendables franchise mm. to Stallone's people where it was just like a run-of-the-mill, like, mercenary does action stuff thing. And it was Stallone himself who was like, what if I got all my friends from the 80s to do it together? <laughs> and, like, it evolved into, like, a completely different project. But because he was still the seed of that movie, right. he was the producer of The Expendables <laughs> that gave him action bona fides and got a lot of the financing for John Wick done. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. After the deal was completed in early 2013, Iwanik and producer Erica Lee worked with Kolstad on rewrites. Kolstad said, We did 100 drafts of varying degrees, but at the end of the day, the story is still there as it was meant to be. The aspects which have changed, I would argue, have changed for the better. So we initially have this very collaborative process, and we haven't even brought in the directors and Keanu, and they're also going to be a huge part of the creative side of this, not just the fights, not just the acting, the directing. I mean, everybody's working so hard together to build a new world. So while this is happening, Iwanik was hit up by a friend of his who was also an agent at Creative Arts Agency, aka CAA. It's like, besides William Morris, it's like the top dog agency that you could be a part of. You're in Hollywood, huh? You know, mm. oh, the studios, they hustle and bustle. The gates, they close to me. <laughs> I go, bing, 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 bing. Let me in. Let me in. Is it a stone in there? What's she smell like? What's she smell like, daddy? And he's like, the security guard's like, stop calling me daddy. And he's doing fucking blast lumps of cocaine. Everyone's upset. You know what I mean? And it's you're all- there next to like a bunch of other scraggly bearded 40 year old right. men. And like their guards are just shooting shotguns to scatter you. And for some reason, 
Porky Pig fully animated uh, in from Toontown. It's a it's a strange place. I have this sticky black circle I can throw in a wall and jump through it to get to the other side. It's crazy what's going on here in flashy Hollywood. And weed's legal. What? You know, it's crazy over here. So anyways, this agent at CAA represented Keanu Reeves and was looking specifically for action projects that would suit the actor. Ewanix sent Reeves the script, and he, of course, connected to the emotional undertones of the whole thing. Listen to our Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. episodes that you can know about the tragic backstory of Keanu Reeves that would make him perfect to play this part. It's like almost like it was written for him, even though it was written for Paul Newman, who is dead. <laughs> so Keanu gets in. He's down. It's also Keanu as the preeminent workhorse is just one of the first actors to actually pick up the script and read it first and like fall in love with it because... As Colstead will say during, again, this iterative process, he would go over to Keanu Reeves' palatial yet charmingly humble house, and he was like, had scripts everywhere. He just devours the things. So by the time it took like any other actor to maybe even consider the role, Keanu like read it, loved it, like already had ideas swimming in his head on where he wanted to take it, and just was like, on top of getting uh, secured for this film. It's awesome. And while fishing for directors, it was actually Keanu Reeves who sends the script to Chad Stahelski and David Leach. And these two guys, uh, let's get into their backstory a little bit before we introduce them to the present story. Stahelski's first big stunt gig was as a body double for the late actor Brandon Lee on 1994's The Crow. And it was actually his body that Lee's face is superimposed onto using special effects after the act. If you know anything about The Crow, the actor tragically died by a gunshot on the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a prop malfunction situation. Really crazy story. So he was actually the guy that his face was superimposed onto, which is totally nuts. David Leitch formed an action design company called 8711 with Chad Stahelski in 1997. Since then, he's been Brad Pitt's stunt double about five times, which includes the movie Fight Club. Also, the two were stunt coordinators on the Matrix trilogy. Mm. Stahelski, and this was like the defining moment in their careers before they made John Wick. Stahelski said, no one was under any delusion that Matrix wasn't going to be pretty awesome. Then David Leitch and I stayed on for V for Vendetta and Speed Racer, so we pretty much got a decade of Wachowski film school. The John Wicks are definitely children of the Matrix. Reeves initially pulls them in to choreograph and direct action sequences. However, The two want to try their hand at directing the project and they sit down with Reeves and they essentially, they start pitching this world to Reeves. So it's like, yes, we can totally choreograph this movie and we'll knock it out of the fucking park. But what we want to also do, what we also learned from the the Wachowskis from working on these Matrix films, from working on all these different movies throughout our career, we've actually really internalized what it is to build a world. And we think we're ready for the next step. And this is the world we see when it comes to this John Wick script. Uh, uh, sorry, Scorn script. Right. By the way, the reason why it turns into John Wick is actually more just because that's what Keanu Reeves keeps referring it to it yeah. as in interviews, because he doesn't like the name Scorn, so he just keeps calling it John Wick and so they were just like fuck it we'll call it John Wick <laughs> I love that story it's, it's so smart too because like I mean come on we need we need this character mm. it's not the scorn series it's about this guy it's how scary this if anything maybe Baba Yaga no no John because Wick, it has to know? be just a generic name yes it has to be totally because John Wick is absolutely 
an everyman kind of guy. He is, again, the Keanu cipher magic is in full display. What do we know about him? Like, they shroud him in mystery on purpose. He loves his wife. He loves his dog. He loves cool cars. Yeah. He, you know, reluctantly isn't the first to do violence. But if he had to do violence, he'd be the best. He at has violence. a glass of wine, you know, twice yeah, yeah. a week. <laughs> he has like a nice house. Every he's buddies to everybody. He remembers everyone's names from the hotel staff to even the bouncer outside of that dance club, which is another I mean, great comedy scene where it's just like you lost weight. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you take the night off? It's like. <laughs> All right. Yes. And by the way, isn't that also just Keanu being Keanu? Yes. Listen to our episode on Keanu. Like he he's friends with all the crew. He's like, yeah, exa- he's that guy. He's very thoughtful. He remembers everything. Like for sure. He's there's so much Keanu in the character of John Wick. It's that's what makes it, I think, work so well. So like the Chad and David lore at this point is yes, they were the Matrix guys, and then they formed this company called Eighty Seven Eleven which was specifically to be like, you want that Matrix magic in your Hollywood movie? You hire us. We'll do the stunt choreography. Mm-hmm. We'll like plan everything out. You literally just like, you give us your actors and we will give you that like long take, actor focused kind of uh, gun fu, kung fu magic that you want in your elevated action movie. We're the guys to get it. And they had even worked on enough movies that they were basically second unit directors already because where the camera is supposed to be is a huge part of fight choreography. Effective fight choreography is knowing where you're placing the camera and what moves are going where and the set around you, you have to specifically build and plan around. Like it is a very involved thing to do a stunt sequence correctly. And they were even hired by a movie called Safe with Jason Statham that they busted their balls into because they had developed what this is J.J. Perry, who was another uh, stunt coordinator and a member of the 8711 group. Literally, they worked on this Jason Statham movie called Safe, where they kind of came up with their own original system that they said, this wasn't gun-fu. Gun-fu is something out of like a John Woo movie, or if you remember the movie Equilibrium with the gun kata, where it's just like doing... (laughs) Pointing the gun really cool. <laughs> they just they created this hybrid thing that yeah. they were calling gun jujitsu, gun kitsu, where it was about like grappling and positioning the gun. And the gun was like just as up close and personal as like a samurai sword was yes. back in the day. And the struggle isn't just like pointing the gun. It's about getting the gun up to someone's brain to shoot them. And in the John Wick movie, it's tons of like MMA style jujitsu rolls and holds and folds and like grappling for control. To but get so many the gun. Of those shit moments is that finisher, the pop, 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 pop. Like it's like three in the chest, oh, yeah. one in the dome, right? Like that's that's a, a failure drill. That is another thing that uh, I, I believe it's J.J. Perry had a lot of military experience. And it's another thing that makes John Wick a much more modern hero is because YouTube is full of like gun content creators that just spend hours filming themselves reloading super efficiently uh-huh. and covering the corners. Right. And it's that kind of militarized training that, you know, they subjected Keanu to to get this as uh, clean as possible. That, you know, when John Wick 
is he's John Wick isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger just holding two machine guns and fanning and mowing down legions of goons. He's like checking his corners. He's like checking yes. his ammo. He does the pop pop pop. He does all he does this. The cool, very, and the reloads uh, are so cool. The reloads are totally a part of the choreo. It's so awesome. Like the when he just it, you know and they sell again with that long shot with that like wide shot and there's people around him. To do a fast reload with people right up on you, that vulnerability moment feeds into how badass the thing is he does right after as well. It's mm-hmm. it's just the time. It's a rhythm. It's a timing. I mean, they talk about that too. Uh, the rhythm of that stuff. Oh, I just wanted to say that like uh, the eighty seven eleven crew, Chad, David, and JJ literally had the house style of John Wick combat like ready to go, and Jason Statham looked at that and was like. No, I'm like, I don't want to do that. It, no, it seems like, let's just do it like we always do, where I just get a bunch of close-ups and my stuntman does all the work. I'm, I'm busy, <laughs> mate. I'm drunk. Uh, Reeve said, Chad really knows everything there is to know about the hero journey and all of its incarnations in literature and cinema. They had their instruments and they were working in their craft. I never thought of them as first-time directors. They had such a physical side of the production here and they had previously been working on helping to bring other people's visions to the screen as second unit and stunt directors. I knew they were ready for the next step and with the vision that they pitched, it was exciting. Stahelski said, we've been mentoring under a lot of really good people. We've been shooting a lot of big action sequence for a lot of other people for a long time, and it was just time. It was cool to finally be able to tell a story from beginning to end and arc the character within not only in the action scenes, but also in the dramatic scenes. It was nice to finally have control over the character and not only the production. So one of the best approaches for creating a new franchise action character and world that they used in John Wick was creating a bunch of backstories for a bunch of interesting characters that pop on the screen without necessarily going into any of it. Mm -hmm. David Leach said early on we decided we always wanted to show John Wick and not just talk about him. If you see him and you aren't going to openly talk about his backstory, you should feel it understand and know it's there if it isn't expressly being brought up. The mystery is part of the world. And that is, I think, the, one of the most important lines from anyone about what, what makes John Wick so fucking good. The mystery is part of the world. We tried to create a world where everyone has a backstory. You don't need to go into what John Wick has done for the last 20 years. Let them hear it and see everyone else's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And also too, like, What's John Leguizamo's character's backstory? You know it exists, but you don't, you just know he's this like high profile car shop guy, Mm -hmm. right? That's clearly a part of this underworld. You know there's got to be so much going on. And the story's told in his costume, the story's told in how he just carries himself, you know, and, and like how other people treat him around him. And it just, it helps to say, okay, we know there's something going on with this guy. We know this guy's like been through some crazy shit to get where he's at, you Mm -hmm. know, and to be, and just to be respected as a part of this whole world where he can tell the son of that crime Lord to get the fuck out of his shop Mm -hmm. and not get murdered for it. You know, Alfie Allen, you know, just, just such a great shitty kid. 
this movie. And in a lot like, of Like, it's the same magic of Theon. Like, he just has that Theon Greyjoy shitty kid magic. And I love his backstory, too, is his sister's Lily Allen, mm-hmm. and she has a song called Alfie. About and it's about how her brother's a shithead stoner fuckface that sucks. Who plays video games and jerks all <laughs> Even uh, uh, Lance Reddick is Charon, you know, oh, the, the so hotel good. manager guy who's, like, so prim and proper and polite and uh, seems to be holding, like, so many more things close to the vest than, like, he lets I on. I mean, if you're familiar with his performance in The Wire, like, it's a one-to-one in that case. Like, it's just, just like, hell yeah, he's in this movie. And hell yeah, he's this guy because that's totally his... He's so good at that sort of thing. That authority figure, you know, that has to kind of try to hold things together as head of the crazy hotel, which is, by the way, if you don't know much the, the, about this, the Continental Hotel, it's like this safe space for assassins, this neutral ground, and it's like a huge deal if you kill like do business do business kill or whatever in that hotel space it's also the uh, all of the details that add up that create the world such as the coins the hotel the assassin's code the car the assassin club the cleaners and all the little things you notice about them and this actually plays into the director's approach to stunt work in some ways david leach said people always say that the writing is in the details and that's always true in action in our day job whether it's stunts or second unit directors, Directing, it's all about the details and how we accomplish things. And that translates into how we tell a story. It's easy for us in a stunt scene to just pick up a gun and shoot it. But it's nice to know what kind of gun it is. How many bullets does it hold? How much does it weigh? What's the context in which it's being used? And, you know, I will say we did watch this movie on our Sunday study session. Shout out to Reeves, who is like a gun expert and would confirm only had a couple of things to point out that were inaccurate or that were, you know, that you wouldn't be able to do, let's say, you know, I mean, there there is a lot of attention to the reality of the situation, which is interesting because that always also kind of goes against how over the top and unreal the world is, you know, in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. But like the details of that stuff is so important. And I do love that. One of the things I think is that this is the post Call of Duty action Uh franchise where now, like, even your average Xbox player knows the difference between an MP5 and a fucking, I don't know, let's say Chris Vector. Right. and knows, Those are two machine guns. And also kind of knows the difference between, like, the effectiveness, like, the use case of different guns, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, whereas, you know, now we know, like, a lot of times, like, the, the crazy, big, whatever, wild gun is not necessarily the gun that's, but they do have yeah, a lot of gonna, that. Yeah, you're not going to take a Browning machine gun to yeah. an actual, like, duel. Though it's I will say that dumb. they include the, that kind of stuff in this film, but still, like, yeah, we're a lot, it's definitely a savvier audience, for sure. And it's also the decision to never show John Wick's life before his wife's death that really, I think, feeds this, like, world-building stuff. There is a reference to an impossible task we mentioned already that he had to perform in the past for Vigo, which originally was shown in the script, they actually decided it'd be much more powerful to merely reference it. So they took that Mm -hmm. out of the script. It was going to be in there. And this is really what it's the not showing the monster elements of John Wick that when they finally get to these moments, like you, you're already bought and sold on everything. And then to see it play out, you're like just more and more reinforces that this guy is legit. And that John Wick should be, a full-on, you know, movie franchise, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So let's get into the cast for a little bit. We, we already started mentioning some cast members. We'll, we'll kind of briefly run through this. And of course, it all starts with Keanu Reeves as John Wick. We, we did our episode. You know, uh, he's dealt with this grief in his past, especially concerning the passing away of his girlfriend and child. Uh, Reeves said, it's nice to play a full-blooded rich character. I love the emotion of his grief that we catch in that opening scene and how that grief turns into a determination. It was a fun role to play. I had a lot to chew on and that's what you look forward to he also loved the underworld of codes the rules that exist among the real world he also said I love this genre I love when action films can show a lot of character I love when they can go into different worlds and find something new to say I think John Wick is intelligently quiet with everything it has to say about causality, the past, the present, revenge, all that fun stuff. And nightclubs that have underground hot tubs full of hookers. Absolutely, absolutely. Michael uh, Nyquist as Vigo Tarasov Ugh. was drawn to the, the- actual villain of the movie. He's it's so the, good. The way that- by the time everybody's seen this, you're not clicking a John Wick history podcast without like having seen the movie. The way that like Alfie Allen, like the son, the actual instigator is just taken out of the equation. So just like just without any kind of ceremony. Yeah. And just like because he's not even the point anymore. No. He's just a MacGuffin. He's just like an, a first mover. And the actual feud is between Reeves and Nyquist. Like, the movie would not be the movie without him. And the uniqueness of it is this father-son-like relationship. And this is what Michael was drawn to. The, 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 this father-son relationship between John Wick and him, this mutual respect that they have each other, it makes for such a much more interesting final fight and relationship all throughout the film. He's a Swedish actor who became famous for various film and TV work, and he made a strong impression with American audiences as the lead villain in a different film, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm. We already talked about Alfie Allen. Uh, he kills it. But I will say he actually did spend time in Russian bathhouses in, in, in New York City to <laughs> nail down that dialect, which I just had this idea in my head that he, he it early on he would go in and like not pull mm-hmm. it out off and like get chased out. Uh, Adrian Palicki as Miss Perkins, the fucking badass lady assassin. This role was actually originally written for a man. Palicki said, yeah, I don't think they really wanted anything else to change. They just said, hey, it's a, it's a woman. They didn't really really change much of anything in the script. She said, I love that about it. They didn't want to make it a female. They don't want to like make it about that, even though they did definitely make, you know, she collaborated with the team on fleshing out the backstory that she has with John Wick. And they did add certainly an element of the fact that they were quote, likely friendly before he got married, that Mm -hmm. there was some romantic backstory, but that's, that's about it. Just to add to that tension in the fight, that fight is awesome in the hotel. Very, very cool. I mean, I mean, this is such a movie of like all my favorites. Ian McShane, John Leguizamo, and Willem Dafoe are three oh. of like my favorite actors, just period. I love watching them work. Ian McShane, like many of the other actors, he was partially cast just because he was living in New York City and they had so many budget constraints, but he is perfect for the character of Winston, who we get to enjoy in, you know, John Wick 2 and 3, and just love the guy. If you weren't familiar with his work before, just go watch Deadwood. It's an amazing show, and he's a huge part of the cast. 
cast and he just he's got these incredible monologues in that in that show and he's just such he's just perfect for this kind of role I, I love that, that he's a part of this movie franchise John Leguizamo as Aurelio and his character he said he was largely informed just by the clothes he just put those clothes on and just like started strutting around the set and treating people a different way and uh, really worked well for him and he he's great in it uh, and of course Willem Dafoe as Marcus as Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe they just Willem followed Dafoe. him around as he just stood on rooftops <laughs> with sniper people with sniper rifle <laughs> Dafoe also collaborated on his character with the team and the vegetable smoothie was actually his choice of course it was <laughs> he figured you know he's an aging assassin he's trying to keep up with the young bucks so he's got to resort to like these big like kind of health kick the last of the old guard yeah exactly I think uh, that I referred to him. fucking love that boys club man that is a great crew man like yeah of, of performers so yeah I wanted to bring it back to the fights there's just so much to say I mean that's the centerpiece of the whole franchise right like besides the world it's like the world kind of comes just second to just these incredible fight set pieces that are like honestly breathtaking like I was completely floored by this and I didn't see them in the theater I saw this I believe at home yeah on my TV and and I was just really so I don't think I'd been as impressed by fight choreography since the first Matrix like straight up yeah Keanu Reeves, though he had quite the background in martial arts training for film, specifically went through arduous training in the styles of judo, Japanese jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, all the stuff I know and love. Mm-hmm. I like to do a quick, you know, hand crack, backwards hand crack. And oh, I do a, God. A, a day doesn't go by when you try and get me into an arm bar. And just force me to tap out. Yeah. And I'm always just like, dude, bro, I just I just had some notes about the last episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always doing that. I'm always giving you that ball squeeze into an upward penis lick. <laughs> That's <laughs> You're thinking of Parisian jiu-jitsu, which is a highly different art. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, what was I going to say? I was. I think the say, joke there was that French people are gay. I, that's the, I, don't, I don't feel confident about that joke. I mean, you know what? I mean, some of them have to be just sheer numbers, right? <laughs> I guess. But then it could apply to any uh, country. <laughs> Canadian. Yeah, I do it. You know what? I'm in my own I head. I'm Canadian in my own head. I'm sorry. Knee stroke. <laughs> Because you know those Ruskies, you know what I mean? They're all, you're talking about bathhouses. Oh, my Lord. I got to go pr- pr- work on my accent. There were rolls. A lot a of rolling. Of Keanu Reeves got very good at rolling over people no, through Jake, places. I don't, I'm, now you got me horny, buddy. So we're going to have to really be talking about some more of this hot gay action, whether it be Canadians, French. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I'd like to see what the, the folks of uh, Poland are capable of in terms of homosexuality. Oh Polish jiu-jitsu is they just throw a bear at <laughs> They just <laughs> and you have to fuck it? Is it a male bear at least? I mean, what are we talking about here? Uh anywho, Jake, can we focus for a moment? You're I don't think we us- can. I really think it's it's a lost cause. <laughs> well, anyways, that's our episode on John Wick. <laughs> we- <laughs> So, any, anyways, I will I will say uh, to get, get back to the factoids. I do like this one. His judo work on the film actually gained him an honorary black belt from the International Judo Federation, which is g- genuinely impressive. What were you going to say, Jake? Oh, so the thing that sets apart the action scenes in John Wick from a lot of stuff that came before it, or things that came before it in other countries, is that they would just do tons and tons of prep work. They would scout the locations before they had to shoot. Just go through every nook and cranny and figure out like, okay, this little corner here, they could do some like 
fun angles and some fun stuff. Okay, if we go up here, then down here, because they were shooting in the New York area, which is massively expensive. The shoot went by lightning fast. And so they basically had to just rehearse, 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 and then the day of shooting, just knock it out. Uh, the producers and the money men were shocked that they were getting things done that like on other sets would have taken weeks. Another big time save that they utilized, which I think is very controversial. I mean, they do it well in John Wick, but it gave birth to a lot of, I'm going to say, intensely subpar action on stuff like uh, direct-to-Netflix movies and stuff. Got rid of uh, muzzle flashes. Mm. Got rid of squibs. It's all digital. When you see John Wick fire a gun and you see a blood splatter hit the wall behind him, that was all done in post because squibs, you know, the little explosive packs, when you think of someone getting shot in a movie and like, you know, their chest explodes, is an intensely budget, time intensive process that usually takes multiple takes to get the timing right. And they just like completely out of necessity, because again, their movie, their budget was so small and there's and even the that money was so hard to get and inconsistent again because keanu reeves at this point 47 ronin huge stinker mm -hmm. man of tai chi did awful in china day the earth stood still giant whiff like he was a risk he was a risky choice for this movie so the choreography and the prep like everybody involved is giving their motion so much gravity and and just focus that it works in this context. Yeah. But God damn, I've seen a lot of post John Wick shitty gunfights in movies because <laughs> they just added the flashes and the blood splatters in post. Well, I want to throw another interesting element to the choreography, which you're kind of touching on, but just to, uh, to explain how like, this is another one of those stories that I love where the budget constraints actually led to a more unique, interesting product in the sense that yes, they trained the shit out of Keanu Reeves. And yes, Keanu Reeves was specifically the one of the only actors that is so skilled and has been training for so long in all of these different martial arts and gunplay and all this different stuff. Usually what happens is you you have I, and I thought I had this quote, but I, I don't know if I actually have the specific quote about this. But usually what they do is they'll find the location months ahead of time, book the location, and then they'll even build a replica of the location on a soundstage and like choreograph the fight sequence on that for weeks and weeks and weeks. But in the case of John Wick, sometimes they were nailing these locations down, locations down days ahead of time. Like, and their ability to work off the cuff and to be able to adjust and change, that is something Keanu Reeves uniquely was able to do, right? Mm -hmm. So it was this crazy situation where, yes, they had done so much prep work, and at the same time, they were all of them uniquely qualified to adapt and adjust to these total last minute changes, which also meant if a piece of choreography wasn't working on the set, they would just fucking uh, switch it up right there on the fly. Mm -hmm. And Keanu, uniquely capable of rolling with that and going with that. Literally that rolling with that. The man with it, rolls a lot in he this He rolls movie. a lot. It's like, he, it's like John Wick has the only human being with like iframes. He really is just going dark soul sometimes in some of these fights. Another thing David Leach said, one of the things that we talk about is how on most films, directors will hand things off to a stunt or action coordinator, but very few of them will go out, put on a pair of sweatpants, and learn what we're training the rest of their cast. Fortunately, we're both still in the physical condition 
where we can do that. We're nowhere near the shape as Keanu's in, but we did the same training and learned the same skill sets. So it's easier to interpolate that on camera and in the moment. And also make those lives. They, they know, they know mm-hmm. all the tools in the shed. They don't. So if something's not working with a fight, they don't have to go, okay, we got to go rework this and train. No, no, no. They can just rework with, okay, never mind. We're going to do this. We're going to do the Canadian knee lick mm-hmm. and we're going to do the, the French man fuck. We're going to do it right there on set. You know what I mean? So shooting took around 40 days. And of those days, there were 18 that were action days. As Keanu puts it, I'll just say this. There's an Australian company called iCool, and they make these tubs with chill water. (laughs) I had one of those in my apartment. It was set at 17 degrees Celsius. During the action stuff, I would be sitting in that when I got done and almost never come out just to try to recuperate. I mean, the guy is a soldier, man. There was days he was like, apparently he was sick on set at one point and literally like throwing up in between mm-hmm. takes. And he was just like, no, we're keep going. And they were like trying to get him to like go like, t- t- you know, s- trying to see if he needed to take the day off. And he was just like, we're going to keep shooting this thing. I mean, it is really the resilience of all of these people working together. I guess I just cannot stress enough how unique this situation was. And that's why this movie is such a cut above all of the rest. And it's just great to see them receive the accolades that they got because they did just pull this thing off in such an amazing way. And I'm just so happy for, they just saved action movies for me because that, that shaky camera shit Mm -hmm. was just like not the best. And, you know, I think that that was even something people were talking about, like, I loved Batman Begins and stuff like that, but that was something after a, a few movies like it where everyone was just like, do we... So this is how we do it now? Like, we just kind of can't tell what's happening. Like, I just well, literally can't I mean, tell what's you happening. you keep mentioning Batman Begins and stuff, and that was, like, specifically because they had to hide the fact that Christian Bale could not move his head yes, in the costume. Yes, totally, So totally. he literally could not be on screen for more than, like, two seconds. But it became the in-fashion thing to do after that, you know? And after a while, I was like, wait, I can't even tell what's people are doing i don't even know what any of these people on set like in this scene are actually doing with each other i could just tell shit's going down so anyways i love that so here's some of the money issues going on while this is happening early on our producer basil iwanik was in a tough spot getting the movie funded and he was dealing with shitty investors. They weren't following through. They were doing stuff like, oh, you wanted $2.6 million? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said $2,600. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, like child. he was like referring to it as like child shit. Mm-hmm. Like they were doing kid shit. He almost cancels the project. However, his lawyers are the ones that advised him to follow through or else he'd be sued into, into bankruptcy if he had. Like he like was losing sleep. He said it was the worst two weeks of his life, the lead up to finally getting the funding. He ended up putting his own money on the line, and so did Reeves, while the directors modified scenes to make things work with a lower budget. And several folks were involved in the funding, including famous actress... Eva Longoria. I'm not sure how she got roped in, but she is listed as a producer in the opening credits. You can actually see her in that. Hey, uh, her name. I'm ready to take you up on that date off, (laughs) but on one condition. You kill my dog. (laughs) What? What are you talking? Oh, just produce the movie. I mean, produce the movie. During post-production, by the way, uh, things were stressful as well. There was actually, at this point... They finish making the movie. They do it in 40 days. If you know anything about movie making, that's fucking crazy. Especially mm-hmm. for like a giant action movie like this with like heavy choreography. It's insane that they made it in 40 days. Completely oh, insane. Just to just to talk about the money troubles and how like they had to just really make do with what they had. Uh, a lot of people point to the final car chase with the SUVs on the mm-hmm. dock as like kind of a weird down like 
lowering of stakes way to end the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, they wanted more cars, but only two showed up (laughs) and they just had to like go ahead and do Do it it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that was happening left and right, Uh, you know, to the point. Yeah, they, they finished filming the movie. And there's very little faith that this thing is going to be a success. There's no time or money for any reshoots. None of that. The 40 days, that's it, which is also completely crazy, especially for a big action movie. However, the editor, Elizabeth Ronaldstadter, did major work to get the movie cut together and is one of the huge figures in this whole production that made this movie work. All right. This happens all the fucking time, whether it's Quentin Tarantino or uh, goddamn George Lucas and or Steven Spielberg. It feels like every single time there's this like landmark blockbuster movie that we're talking about on this show. Turns out lady editor. Yeah, there's just something magical about lofty head up their own butt hyped up on their own hype male directors doing a bunch of crazy shit and then just kind of giving it to a woman who can just like cut through their bullshit and actually Uh, Scorsese also has a long-term amazing lady editor as well. Uh, So yeah, this person, she's really good at working on low budget indies. That's her thing. So she, she knows how to to handle that. And she also had a specific distaste for close up action shots. So she knew how to let these scenes live the way they needed to really comes across. Then when it comes to a distributor, they struggle to find one Lion Gate Films is the only one offering the, the make an offer to distribute, and and it's not a very juicy offer at that. In fact, Ewanick was convinced they were going to send it straight to video when they made the deal, and luckily they put it in theaters. Oh my god, I have so many things. Sure, a couple of things about Elizabeth Ronald's daughter. She's Icelandic. I just assume it's pronounced Ronald's daughter, like she is a McDonald's heir. I don't <laughs> know how else to do it, but uh, she had gone out to Iceland to do a movie based on her credit on indies and uh, it fell through. And as a last minute thing, her agent like offered her this thing. And she was like two stunt guys making their first movie. I'm fucking ruined. I'm dead. It took forever for her to actually meet with them so much so that she ended up taking a break and going to a music festival in Poland. And there she saw two girls playing in a band in a castle. And that band was Kaleido. And the song was think, which is the amazingly haunting song that plays when John Wick is like getting down to business in the Red Circle Club. April, if you could play just a clip of that, it really just elevates that entire scene and kind of turns John Wick into this kind of just beautiful dancer of revenge and violence. Another thing is, is that she just talks for entire paragraphs about just how beautiful John, I'm sorry, Keanu's body is, how he has just like these perfect proportions and how he makes all of these moves uh, kind of dancerly and how she just wanted Mm -hmm. to capture all of that stuff. And a lot of the things that made the movie rough around the edges, early cuts, the producer said that initial cuts of the movie were borderline unwatchable because there were just entirely like if... 
John Wick was mowing his way through an entire like building of goons, you'd see him like walk through every door and go up every step. And there were tons of uh, pieces of dialogue where he was like way more vocal about his motivations and his like uh, reasoning behind things. And she kind of cut down a lot of those scenes because you could just tell through his like eyes and action what he was thinking and what he was doing. And he really doesn't like get talking until he gives his, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back speech, uh-huh. which is kind of an amazing, like, you know, it's such a build to that yeah, moment it's awesome. because he's been so silent the entire time. Yeah. And again, it's about like what's not being said, what's not being shown, all that stuff. And I think it's that, the uh, goons he's not shooting <laughs> twice in the stomach and no, then no, once yeah, in the brain shoot that really the make him mad. Uh, and in the head. But yeah, it really is all about like the, you know, they always say like uh, with comedy, it's about like the space in between the jokes mm-hmm. or with music, the space between the notes. That's so true in this. Like it's like giving that space is really what works so well. And him really not having to say a ton. And I know that that I was, I, I wanted to bring this up too as a nod to Keanu Reeves. And I'm, I hope it doesn't come off as an insult. I feel like this role and the way his dialogue is uh, treated in the film is such a great, like it just works so well to his strengths because he can really play a scene so well in a softer spoken way. And in, and with less dialogue, he can convey so much. Oh my God. When the head mobster like calls him knowing what has happened and John Wick's like about to bust open his crate. Yeah. His, his magical cement yeah. gold coin cash. And like, he doesn't say a goddamn word. He just hangs up. And uh, the lawyer guy's like, what did he say? And the Russian mobster's just like, enough. <laughs> it's just so fucking good. It's so good. So, yeah, between the issues with funding and distribution, the fact that at this time period, the movie industry was just in general in a decline, particularly when it came to action films. There was very low expectations for the movie. However, the movie ends up almost doubling expectations in terms of opening weekend and ended up making a worldwide gross of $86 million on a very low budget. It was what, like $14 million, I think was the budget? I think 25 25 done yeah that growing home video audience and streaming audience that's where it caught me is really what turned this into a franchise and cemented john wick as one of the all-time greatest action heroes and um, i don't think there was any idea that this would become this crazy franchise at all but it absolutely became one after the success of the first one ewanik talks about the post-production kind of uh vibe being one of people just being like Well, we tried. Uh, He claims that Keanu said that he was going to start doing television shows after all this was done and that this might have well have been his last hurrah. And Chad was uh, going to do second unit directing for a Sacha Baron Cohen movie. It really was kind of like, well, that happened. I believe uh, Thunder Road's next movie was Sicario. Mm. And he was like, well, I hope Sicario works. Otherwise, I'm bankrupt. Sicario was good, too. Yeah. They did a lot of test screenings, and it didn't quite do well. You said Lionsgate was really the only one that took him up. And it was just a bare-bones distribution deal. Like They said stuff like, listen, this is going to be low priority for us. We're not giving you any, like, advance. And it wasn't until Lionsgate cut a trailer for John Wick. And it got a massive response on the internet because, like, the latent Keanu love that had been building up. This is what people wanted Keanu to be. People knew his story. The sad Keanu meme had been, like, out in the ether at this point. And so the idea that, like, sad Keanu gets revenge was just so intoxicating. The original trailer isn't amazing, but, like, 
in that moment at that time around 2014, it absolutely is like the kind of thing that people would just be hungry for at this point. Some test audiences didn't like it. You know, they were like, oh, I didn't like that the dog died. Or people were like, I don't like that he killed so many people just because a dog died. There were other test audiences where people just absolutely lost it. Um, when, uh, <laughs> oh, whose quote is this? Basil Iwanek again. He's a producer. He gives lots of good quotes. There's this scene. I'll never forget this in my, this is Basil talking to the author of the book I read. I'll never forget this in my entire career. Literally until the day I die, Michael Nyquist calls John Leguizamo and says, why did you hit my son in a menacing tone? And Leguizamo goes, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. And Michael Nyquist simply goes, oh, the entire fucking theater erupted in laughter and cheers. And the audience realized I'm allowed to have fun with this. And we had them. I'm telling you, we had them. Every single moment afterwards. It was incredible. They realized this is supposed to be fun. God bless Michael Nyquist. <laughs> that isn't that is another thing in the energy of this movie is like uh, the cop that shows up and it's like, ah, oh, you're working again. Like there's genuinely yeah. funny bits that like let you know this isn't as serious. This is a comic book. It was a comic book. A I, it's shocking work. that it wasn't initially the stylized a comic book. Uh, subtitles, which I thought were really distracting yeah, yeah. at the time. I think they're cool. They look like something you would see in a comic book. Totally. It, li- it literally like slaps you in the face being like cool. this is a movie this is a you're watching a movie i love all the stylistic choice i we should have shouted out the cinematographer and stuff too because like that that neon mm. like crazy lighting approach is such a big part of the personality of the film as well uh and does such a good job to give it again that comic book vibe it's really really awesome and of course everyone thought so so lionsgate then becomes all in on a series of john wick movies with chad stahelski and david leach returning to direct and the writer Derek Kolstad returning for the screenplay. Also returning besides Keanu is Ian McShane, Bridget Moynihan, John Leguizamo, Thomas Sadowski, and Lance Reddick. And then you have Ruby Rose, Ricardo Scaramacho, Common, and Peter Stormare and others uh, added to the cast. The project was very collaborative between Kolstad and the directing team. Kolstad said, I'll come up with a skeletal structure. And he, referring to Chad, will say... I want this, and I'll say, I want that. It's a little bit more of a dance. It's not the most efficient way, but it's how we get a story. Chad tells you what he wants more than anyone else. He'll say, I don't like that scene. He'll have three or five to five scenes he really wants. I'll craft around it. So they're all together now making this thing happen. They, they, you know, this crazy little movie that could. Now they're like trying to blow it out with uh, bigger and bigger set pieces and things like that. The second film, while also set in New York City, is largely set in Rome as well. And like the first, the city is treated like a character in the movie in a way. The sequel delves deeper into the secret organization of assassins, including the high table, the board that runs the whole thing, while also expanding on the fight choreography the stunts the film also ends with a major cliffhanger that perfectly sets up for a third film they're in full franchise mode at this point and it's so juicy for sure like the end of that second one is like oh shit (laughs) we're just gonna go and i love when you know like halloween one and two i love when movies go directly from the moment the movie ends into the moment the next movie starts right so john wick three parabellum does exactly that like he's running out of the hotel and we just immediately pick back up with John Wick and I think that's why they just went go 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 when it came to the next series of films 
So again, you have uh, Stalinsky and Kolstad returning to direct and write. The title comes from a Roman military quote that goes, CV passum parabellum, it's John Wick chapter three parabellum. This means if you want peace, prepare for war. And the whole film is really- Nine millimeter parabellum is- uh caliber that mm. he uses a lot in the guns in the movies. And and really that that is a good descriptor that that Roman phrase this whole thing even though it's a badass action movie on its own is in a way like this big setup for like a big throwdown with the powers that be which we're going to get in John Wick 4. There were stellar cast members added to this one. Now it's like this important, you yeah. know, it's like a cool thing to be a part of. So you've got Halle Berry, Angelica Houston, Mark Dacascos. Oh, what? No, Mark Dacascos. He's great. I mean, he's was in so many fucking cult movies that I love, including uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Mm-hmm. He was one of the dudes in the uh, Double Dragon movie. And uh, one of my favorite roles of his, he plays the chairman in uh, all the modern Iron Chef <laughs> iterations on Food Network. That's awesome. He's so great as Gazero because he's like a fanboy yes. of John Wick trying to kill John Wick. Yeah, it's it's so good. And, you know, you got that horse sequence that were in the trailers and stuff, which mm-hmm. is badass. A lot of more a lot of mo- they added a lot of mobility to to John Wick two and three car stuff you know um, obviously I just said horse and that is very exciting. They introduced the fact that he wears a bulletproof suit, which is a little weird and yeah. dumb, but I love it. Kind of mirrors Matrix trilogy slightly. Like like that's kind of what they did with the sequel on that as well. They're like, all right, now more car shit, more mm-hmm. like on the road stuff, and we're adding all and with all the gun and martial art choreography and everything. Oh, and they of course also introduced the fact that John Wick is in fact an adopted Belarusian <laughs> by the name of Jardani Jovanovich which got uh, all the weaves on the internet very excited because it meant that by some loose interpretations, John Wick is technically a Jojo. <laughs> so yeah, John Wick Chapter 4, that's the one coming out. Writer and series creator uh, Derek Colsad is actually replaced for this movie with uh, Shay Hatton, who did have a writing credit on John Wick 3. So he was brought in for that at that point. The fifth installment was already planned for a back-to-back shooting schedule. However, Chad Sahelski has stated that Chapter 4 is his last Wick film, though apparently he always says that after making one. Stahelski said, I tried to get better as a storyteller in this one, but I'd be the same guy jumping back into the next movie. I've got to get better. Keanu's out there every day getting better. He's acting. He's trying new projects. I've got to sit in a room and go, okay, how do I get better as a director? I don't have the same choices, so I can't just direct, direct, direct. I have no time to expand. I just think I'd get shittier and shittier so i just think in loyalty to the franchise i need to get a hell of a lot better before i try to find another story because otherwise if you're not going to get better if you're not going to do something different if you're not going to try to expand and be artistically better that's kind of lame just to do it for a paycheck and i think he's also referring to the fact that the tight turnaround like when they signed up for john wick 4 they also signed up for john wick 5 Mm -hmm. or that was already like set up by the production company and they really want it to be like back to back like finish shooting go right into pre-production for john wick 5 so i think that's why maybe chad's like i need the little time to be better at this (laughs) before i like try to make another one so john wick 4 will release on march 24th 2023 jake i have a solid ending quote from chad stahelski but i have nothing left to say at this point about john wick other than fucking it rips (laughs) go see this movie unless you've got no 
elbows. God damn. Just stiff arming those those uh, H&K <laughs> pistols. <laughs> just, just like, honestly, no elbow John Wick <laughs> in, unleashes all sorts of insane choreography. It would be crazy. John Wick is a playable character in the Payday video game yes. franchise. You can get a skin of him in Fortnite thus ensuring he is now part of the forever culture of everything. Oddly enough, they had a fake John Wick skin in Fortnite called the Reaper that everybody just started calling John Wick because it was a bearded man in a bespoke suit who wielded a pistol and it was very obviously John Wick. Mm -hmm. There was a prequel comic series that uh, goes into all sorts of side adventures if you wanted to see a picture of Keanu Reeves shooting dudes in Mexico. But it's... It's it's just a wonderful adult playground where, you know, there's a code of honor. Once again, the Keanu magic is the honorable warrior, someone with like uh, who is who is capable and adept at taking life. But on his own terms, you know, the neon imagery, the 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 lifestyle porn, the just just celebrating human bodies and movement. I really suggest if you are like desperate for what John Wick is dropping. Look up some of these older like Hong Kong action movies. Look up stuff like the Chow Yun Fat movies. Look up stuff like uh, John Woo movies. Look up stuff like the Raid Redemption. Look up stuff like Ong Bak and Tony Jaa's movies. Like there is an art form to fight choreography. It is a genuinely beautiful, thrilling form of expression. And, uh, you know... Keanu Reeves is a wonderful man for us to observe it through. Absolutely. Well, here you go. Here's my final quote from our director. It's, it's a pretty beefy one, so sit back, enjoy the ride. <clears throat> this from Chad Stahelski. I think with all my crew, we have this little mantra of, if it's not beautiful, why are we doing it? I consider myself very much a craftsman, and my crew are craftsmen, with the dream of becoming an artist. We're very good at what we do technically, but it's the translation of what we do into that next level that becomes artistry. So we just figured, well, why not? We might as well try to be artists, and given enough practice and the right amount of time and the right opportunity, maybe we will one day do something that's worthy of that. But just because we're doing an action movie doesn't mean we shouldn't care about all those little things or strive to be artistic in that and how to change it. I think the only way you can do is multidimensional. You can't just go bigger. You can't just go more explosions. You have this circumference of excellence that if everybody does their one inch of growth, you get a bigger circumference. And that's what I think we'd keep doing with the wicks is if we all trust each other to get a little bit better at what we do, the synergetic effect is much greater than any one person trying to do a bigger explosion. That's just the attitude we've gone through. And I love that concept of like, I know we're all just fight people. I know we're all just these like dudes who know how to do jujitsu and wield guns and shit like that. However, Let's all try to be fucking artists and just see what happens. I think it's commendable. I think it's really, really cool. I love the John Wick franchise. I'm very excited for the fourth one. Thanks for joining us for our episode on John Wick. If you'd like to follow us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month. On top of that, at that price point, ad-free episodes. No ads free smooth listening experience boom hit it get it spit it and split it you canadian 
And also at $15, join us for our Sunday study session every week on Discord. We watched John Wick for our last one. Had a blast. Thank you, everybody who came out to it. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Follow me on Twitch. I stream Monday through Friday. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Again, that's Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Catch me on that. Jake! <laughs> uh, I do my own streaming thing. It's called The Cartoon Dumpster. I do it every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube uh, in the form of my avatar, Puppet Jared. Uh, we watch weird old cartoons from the 90s, 2000s, 80s, and whatever we can get our hands on within the copyright ID system. Uh, it is a rollicking good time. If you are a fan of this podcast, I guarantee you will have a good time over at The Cartoon Dumpster. Just look for uh, Puppet Jared on Twitch or YouTube. You can't miss it. And uh, say hi. Let chat know you came here because I badgered you at the end of a podcast episode. All right. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on wicking. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.